Hello and welcome to the second ever Scottish Liberty podcast. I'm Anthony Samroff and I'm here with my co-host Tom Ward. And I was wondering if you knew that we are actually the most popular new Scottish libertarian themed podcast in the world. I was not aware of that, but uh, I'm just, uh, I'm absolutely tumescent about that news. (laughs) I'm going to have to look up the word tumescent. I was really pleased with the listenership to our last episode, so please uh, subscribe to us on YouTube and you can now get us on iTunes as well and SoundCloud and get the new episode straight to your phone or device as soon as we come out. Yeah, and we've had, we've had some great feedback. We've had some great feedback on YouTube. We've, got, we've even had, we've had mail uh, pouring in. Uh, we've got a letter here from a man who says, uh, listen to your show last week, guys. You rock. Uh, absolutely fantastic, especially the joke about the cock and the toaster. And that's from a Mr. B. Al-Assad in Damascus. That's fantastic. Yes. Uh, and also another letter here that says, uh, yeah, same stuff. Great stuff, guys. Really loved it. Uh, loved the, the cock and the toaster joke. Um, and if only I had have stuck my honorable member in a toaster as opposed to sticking it in a pig's mouth, maybe things could have turned out differently. And there's no name on that one, but it's on Conservative Party headed paper. Uh, and another one here, uh, this is also in Conservative Party headed paper. It says, uh, yeah, it just says, what's a cock? And that's from a Ms. Ruth Davidson. But anyway... Uh, Maybe she, maybe she just, maybe she's. I don't know what she means by that, but maybe she's just uh, in a, in a, maybe just in a, in an archaic and uh, you know sort of um, nice way. She's asking what the time is. Maybe she meant what's o'clock. I don't know. Right. Uh, so and for you, uh, Miss Davidson, it's now quarter past seven. Yeah, you did miss the letter that asked for a demonstration. Is there <laughs> any reason for that? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think. Well, it's kind of hard to do. Once if we actually get round to getting a camera involved, uh, then I might actually do a demonstration at some point of just how insane uh, Putin. You're a right honourable member, as it was called, in a toaster. Um, but for now, it's not going to work. I don't think it's going to work really well. Through the like, audio medium. Through the audio Plus, medium. it's the kind of thing that you can only do once. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, we, we could see about that, but I, I don't think it's even advisable once. Yeah, we're, Are you going to wait till it pings? <laughs> it goes click. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyway. But the, the, the feedback's been fantastic. What I'm going to jump right in uh, to our news stories. Angus Robertson. MP, right, not even MSP anywhere, Angus Robertson, who is the Scottish Notional Party's, yes, I said that right, don't uh, don't bother writing in, Scottish Notional Party's uh, mouthpiece in Westminster. Uh, I remember in his maiden speech uh, at Westminster, he stood up and confidently, confidently told uh, David Cameron that the Scottish people, because I don't know if you know this, Angus Robertson has actually, it's an astounding feat, it should be in the Guinness Book of Records. He's walked the length and breadth of this land uh, and he spoke to every single person in Scotland, every one of them, and they've told him, uh, in fact, you know, he was 46 stone when he started. He's down to a nice bite and trim, 26 now. But uh, he's, he's asked everybody what their opinion is on the EU and the Scottish people have told him resoundingly that they love the EU uh, and uh, they, they love its liberal uh, laws. They love the fact that the, the Parliament in Brussels is even further away from them than the, uh, the Parliament in Westminster. Uh, and but generally, we've just got a giant hard on for uh, for the EU. 
So, and he, he told David Cameron that as much. And now he's at it again. He's telling everybody that uh, Brexit would be a bad idea and Scottish business is going to suffer. Um, and I don't, first of all, all these businesses that are telling us that they're going to suffer if we leave the EU, could they possibly be the same businesses that are telling that we're telling us that we're going to suffer if Scotland left the UK? Again, I don't get the discrepancy. Um, so, Angus Robertson, you suck. Please just shut up. I know you've got a massive hard on for the EU, uh, but not as many Scottish people as you think have share your uh, tumescence for the for the EU. So I just like you to know that. And if you are a member of the Scottish National Party out there, uh, if there are any hardline old nationalists left. You know, where are you? Where's your voice? Is there anybody in the, the Scottish Notional Party who actually believes in independence anymore? Uh, if you know anybody, get in touch. Let us know where they live. Look down the back of your couch, under your bed, uh, in the back of your car. See if you can find anybody in the SNP who actually believes in independence anymore. So that's my rant for a kick-off. Yeah, they've all moved to Switzerland where they're, <laughs> they're not in the EU. Right. And um, their economy isn't actually in tassels either. In fact, they've done really spectacularly well. well. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I don't. I, I really. Particularly in terms of currency, I mean, the Switzerland just hasn't printed as much money as everyone else has. Yeah. And the I think the Swiss franc has just been going from strength to strength, as compared to the euro and the dollar and the pound. And I'm sure some someone will right in and say that it went through a bad period or something like that but um i actually i think you know all this stuff about we were talking about what currency we should use here yeah. and, and not the euro we should keep the pound but i actually think we should change to the swiss franc well we, you, it's, it's, it's a red herring you know we could we, well we could use red herrings it doesn't really matter you could use bitcoin uh you could use you know there's nothing to stop us using dollars or yen i suppose from the government uh, yeah yeah yeah, and they apart stop, from the government. Stop you. In fact, um, uh, in America, a private company tried to buy gold and silver and issue their own currency called the Liberty Dollar. Yeah. And the federal government shut them down for counterfeiting. Right, because right. the government doesn't like competition, does exactly. it? Yeah. So it's allowed to counterfeit and it's allowed to rob people, but nobody else is allowed to do it, especially if they're better at it than they are. So one point on the EU that you mentioned before when we were talking is that people seem completely bereft of a principled decision-making process. It seems to be expediency that people are deciding on the EU mm. and I hear a lot from the left that they want to basically use the EU as a bulwark against Tory policies in the same way that they thought getting out of the the British Union would be a bulwark against Tory policies. When it comes to a massive decision over how you're governed, I don't think you should be making the decision based on what is expedient at the moment because we have no idea who is going to be in control of the EU no. six months from now, ten years from now. So I mean people comes, always people just automatically assume it's going to be benign. I don't know why they do that, you know. And um, the thing is ultimately you need to make a principled decision. Yeah. So as a principle, should we have 
big international governments that supersede the laws of our domestic government? And if so, why stop at the EU? Why not add a fifth layer of government, a world government? Why, why don't we just keep on adding more, more and more layers? If the EU is good, why stop at the EU? Why not include every nation in it? So I don't understand where the principles are. One thing that really... Well, nobody's really arguing about principles. Everybody's talking about economic arguments. Some people are talking about immigration. None of these things really concern me as much as the argument in principle, you know? Uh, and nobody's doing that. I, I wish that the, the Leave campaigners would start arguing more on principle and just saying, look, this is, a, this is a matter of principle. We don't need this super expensive club um, you know, we can trade freely with other nations if we want to. You know, just you know, if, I, if, if you make biscuits and you want to sell biscuits to somebody in Nigeria and they want to buy them, well, what business is it a government, uh, you know, how you do that? You know, it's, it's entirely up to you. So the idea that we need these complicated uh, trade agreements in order uh, for businesses to deal with people is, is completely nonsensical. What we need is simplicity. Yeah. We need the simplicity of a free market principle, which is if you have something to sell and someone else has something to buy, wants to buy it, that's fine. Now, what really gets my goat about the EU and is ultimately why I'll be voting to leave is every time I've watched Question Time or any of these programmes, without fail, someone will propose a policy and be replied, well, we can't do that because that will fall foul of EU regulations. Yeah. So that's the principle at stake. If we are to have a state, if we are to have a government in this country, why can't we make our own laws? And if we can't make our own laws without having them superseded by EU regulations, can't we just devolve to the EU? Just get, let's just get rid of our national parliaments. And not have this kind of yeah, it's facade. a pantomime. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a total pantomime. If the EU regulations have ultimate authority, they are de facto our government. So I think it's either in an in or out. And if we're out, then let's be all the way out. And that's that's what I prefer. Yeah, I'm 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 with you on that one. So, but I mean, I mean, we're talking about this again, but it is. I mean, it's only what three weeks now to yeah. the to the election. Uh, and I think people really are quite bored with the, with the economic arguments. Um, so I'd really like to hear because a lot more. there's no verification. No, you know, you get one set of no experts that no says one thing. No crystal ball. No. So it's basically... Well, I have, but I'm not very good with it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's in my house, just hold the stock and papers for blowing off the table. That's about it. So what's next? Uh, next... We're going to have another pop at the, the named person policy. Uh, I know we talked about this last week, but it's worth talking about again because this it's, it's really important. I think there's a lot of people who are really concerned about this. Uh, the only people who don't seem to be concerned is the government. They're going to go ahead with this by hook or by crook, and they don't seem to really care. These are the people... You know what really burns my toast? Now, why don't you tell us, Tam, you have balled up our case twice? Okay, I will. When, it, when people who bang on about, when Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP will bang on about democracy, you know, ad nauseum, yet they don't really care what the majority of people think. You know, it's, they, they, they have got it into their head that this thing's a good idea and they're going to go ahead with it by hook or by crook. Most, SM, and most MSPs have actually voted for this. I don't know how many MSPs uh, um, abstained. I don't get that. 
you know what, what, what why, why, why abstain do you know you, uh, do you not think usually people are, who are, are abstaining are people who really don't agree with it but they don't want to take the political heat of being voting against the children yeah that that seems to be be what it's what it's all about i mean but but okay how how then do you justify abstaining any further is it, is it just you know are they not sure are they really not sure that this thing's a bad idea and um, if they're not going to govern, why are they being elected? Yeah, yeah. Why I mean, you make there? a you make a decision. You know that's what you're there for. It baffles me why they've, they've abstained. I know the Tories abstained from it before, and that's shameful. Shame if on there's you. There's no opposition. No. Why is no one showing up to give the other side of the argument? Yeah, and I think the SNP have got the, they've got the bit between their teeth in this because I think they. They lost on corroboration. Can you remember they were gonna uh, they were gonna end corroboration so that even just one policeman, you know, if he said you were I don't know acting in a lewd and libidinous manner in the in the precinct, then that's what happened because he right. doesn't need to corroborate it with anybody. So and and the SNP actually thought this was a good idea. Now they were defeated on that. Why are they Why are they intent on these illiberal policies? Do they honestly think? That um that they're a good idea. Do they honestly think that it's actually going to help anybody? Well, uh, other than increase the size of the bureaucracy, other than create a, you know, a massive job creation scheme for uh, civil servants and social workers, I really don't see that this act is going to protect children any more than the laws that we have already. No. Shame on you. And if you and. If you abstained, double shame on you, you know. Again, you know, along with Angus Robertson, you suck. So, apart from people who suck, or speaking of people who suck, there was something in Germany about banning Ubers. Do you have the scoop? The scoop on that as well, I'll, I'll give you the basics of it. Um, the court, with the high, a high court in Germany uh, has ruled that Uber's activities are illegal and not in keeping with either German or EU law. Uber have hit back and said, well, look, all we do is we provide a connection between customers and people who want to deliver a service. And uh, what the, the, the German courts have turned around and said is, well, that being the case, why don't you just do it for free? Um, well, I think Uber should maybe call their bluff and see if they can do it for free. Well, well, maybe, well, maybe the um, court should do their job for free as well. Maybe everyone that is working in that court should not accept a salary for working in that court if that's the principle. Why don't they do their work for free? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll read it. Says here, this is this is this is on the BBC website. It says that uh, Uber's low-cost Uber Pop service has been banned in Germany after a court decided it violated transport laws. Fines of two hundred and fifty thousand euros, uh, which is roughly one hundred eighty-one thousand pounds, if you're interested in the conversion there, were imposed for each violation. Followed the news that the company's Paris offices were raised uh, were raided by police investigating the same service, but. The, it's an ongoing decision. Uber are going to uh, appeal against this, obviously, uh, and say that, yeah, you know, it's a fundamental infringement of our ability under European law to establish and provide a service. But, you know, who's who, who's against this? Well, obviously, existing taxi companies are against this, you know. Uh, 
or rather surprise, for, surprise, for, or rather for it. Surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but they're they're against Uber and they're for this this decision, which is basically saying, you know, how dare you uh, compete? And you know, so Dieter Schlenker, right, chairman of the Taxi Deutschland Cooperative, hailed the decision as a move that would protect professional taxi drivers from competition. Oh, surprise, surprise! By unlicensed Uber drivers. Oh, you know what? If you're if you feel that you're getting uh, competed uh, against by unlicensed Uber drivers, well, just become an unlicensed Uber driver yourself. You know? Yes. That, that's. I, I don't understand what business it is at the gov- of the government, right? If I want to go to the airport and you have a car and you can drive it and you want to take me to the airport, what business is it of the government? You know, that, that's a contract between two people, you know, and it's my lookout. It's ultimately up to me, you know, caveat emptor, buyer beware. And if I want a licensed service, if I want to go, okay, I don't want to use an unlicensed service, then I can still use a licensed service and pay a premium for that. I mean, people... People go on holiday and, you know, they go to all sorts of places in the world and they jump in taxis without even thinking about it. You know, you think the very thing that you're told to do as a child, right, don't get in a car with a stranger. Not only do you do it when you're an adult, but you, you actually pay and pay through the nose for getting in a, ta- a car with a stranger. So people do it when they're abroad. They just jump in, in, in cabs. They don't know the, the guy's license. They don't even know what the, the, the standards of uh, you know the driving test are in that country. But people take the risk and they realise it's up to them and they realise they're taking the risk and that's it. Again, the state has to nanny you. Now, we're going to protect you from you know uh, bad taxi drivers that might kill you, you know, drive you into a wall or something or drive drunk. These are all up to you. But you know who's going to actually run a business? By providing a bad service, it's going to happen. It's more likely to happen if there's less people providing the service. Yeah, right? absolutely. Supposing yeah. you only. And it's not like licensed yeah, taxi drivers exactly. never rape women or licensed taxi drivers never commit offences. Right. What but the thing is, if there's lots of people, if only a few people, like uh, the perfect counterexample is the public transport in Scotland, particularly intercity public transport, where it's all basically owned by CityLink. I think they're the same company as Megabus. They might also be the same company as Stagecoach. And I've heard so many people complain about the service with city like where drivers are rude where attendants are rude where you come to this the station just one minute after time and the bus driver leaves in front of you and says he can't let you on now the reason for that well is partly because they're the only people providing that service yeah it's expensive and the quality of service is relatively poor because they're not subject to any competition and they might well be in receipt of state subsidies yeah now, if there was 10 companies doing into how hard is it to buy a minibus and yeah. take people from Inverness to Glasgow and back, <laughs> right? It should be cheap as chips. It should be a, a frequent service and you should have a choice of service providers. Now, there are, let's take your example of you get into a, unknown, a taxi with an unknown person abroad. There will be statists who will present the argument, well, they should have licensing laws too. It's dangerous. But... Well, they do, but you, don't, you, you, you have no idea of the standards they're using, whether the guy just puts money in a brown envelope and gets his taxi driving that license. And so 
The best way to ensure a high quality of licensing is to actually have market competition work in licensing. Yeah. And okay, it won't be a mandatory license, but you might have a nice gold disc with your number and someone can have an app on their phone where they scan your barcodes. You can have reviews. You know, there's reviews on Uber. Yeah. Every time I take an Uber, yeah, you've used I'm, the asked, yeah. I'm asked to rate my driver out of five. Uh, you don't get that with a taxi company. No, and so, can can you actually you can actually see the, the the history of the guy who's picking you up? Exactly. So they're actually providing a better service in terms mm. of vetting. I could supposing someone comes up on my Uber and I'm offered to take this car and they have a rating of three point seven stars on average, which by the way I've never seen before. They're all you know, somewhere in the region of 4.6 to 4.9. Right. So I I can actually choose not to take that driver and wait a bit longer to select a driver that's got a much higher rating. Yeah. Now, I can't do that with a regular taxi company. So Uber are providing better discernment than the government is with its licensing. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't... I mean, I very rarely get a cab. I mean, like... I can't even remember the last time we got a taxi unless I shared it with somebody else and they paid. But I know in London, for example, I mean the the, the price difference is staggering between getting a, a you know regular London cab and getting Uber. Yes. You know, and people and here in Edinburgh, also the case. Right. Okay. So I mean, and people Taxes should have are that quite choice. Cheap in Glasgow, but yeah. in Edinburgh they're incredibly expensive because the council sets the rates of taxis. Well, it also charges an exorbitant and extortionate rate for actually licensing. having your license. First of all, I think it's what the last I had was something like thirty thousand pounds. So it might be ridiculous. And that, that's insane. In, yeah. in New York, and what gives them the right to demand that kind of money for the privilege of being able to? drive a taxi now in new york they have a medallion system where yeah. only people who have medallions are allowed to drive a taxi and these sell for like a million dollars yeah you know one one will sell their license to another for a million dollars that's called a barrier to entry that's yeah. stop peeping stopping people from providing services in Washington, D.C., on the other hand, they don't have that system, or at least they didn't. They might have introduced it. I know there were moves to introduce yeah. it, and everyone was raving about the taxi service, and the taxi drivers were really didn't want the medallion system to be yeah. put in place. But at the end of the day, whose right is it to say you can't drive a taxi? Well, no, it's, it's, it's again, it's an agreement between... Two people. I mean, like this conversation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you, you know, there should be much more competition mm -hmm. in public transport, much more competition in buses, much more competition in taxis. Yeah, and I, I prefer to say service provision rather than competition because I feel whenever we say competition, we're giving one to the people who go, oh, capitalism's tooth and nail. Yeah, it's uh, dog eat know, dog. It's servi yeah. Service provision. You get to choose between service providers. You're. It's not about. Competition. It's about your right to choose who you want to get a service from, and That's your far right, better and it, your right to provide a service without someone saying, "No, I'm sorry, you can't serve people." Yeah, isn't that what an economy is about? Everyone working for everyone else. I, I, I agree totally. Uh, it sounds like a massive uh, long advert for Uber here. I'm not, I'm not particularly not. stuck on Uber. I'd like to see about 30, 40, 50, 100, you name it, Ubers 
you know, yeah. giving you a Uber choice of what you yeah. Uber for doctors, doctors, lawyers, therapists, whatever. You know, yeah. go to your app and just have some way of linking people to people who can provide them with value. I think that's what the economy of the future should look like. And it cut, does something that the left want to do, which is cut out the middleman. You yeah. know? And the, the left don't necessarily believe this, but actually the free market is always working to cutting out profiteering classes because your margin of profit is always an expense to the company. Yeah. So someone who can accept a smaller margin of profit is actually going to provide a more competitive service in the long term. Yeah. In the short term, profit is a reward for being the first person to come into that market. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have the state banning other people from competing, in which case you might be able to actually retain a wide profit margin for a yeah. much longer time. It's not just Uber per se, but it's just that kind of thing. We're, you know, we're, we're all for it. But if there's anybody who's listening to this and you have used Uber, tell us what you think about it. If you've used a similar service to Uber and you think it's just as good, uh, let us know about it as well. And if you've had a bad experience, let us know. But let us know whether it's, it's a bad experience down to the way that Uber conducted the business or it was just that particular driver. We'll be glad to hear your comments on it. Great. I'd just like to do one more story before we wrap up, Okay. which is this. The Prime Minister rejects the claim that the cash isn't there to create these new frigates, this Royal Navy shipbuilding programme, which has been delayed because the Ministry of Defence has supposedly ran out of money. And it's a topic that's got interesting implications from a libertarian perspective. Okay. Because... People tend to think that the libertarian position on military is either the same or similar to the left-wing position or that it is sort of a mixture of both because libertarians believe in a strong national defence but a non-interventionist foreign policy. And I'd actually say I hate the idea that libertarians borrow from the left and right like were socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Right. First of all, not all libertarians are socially liberal. Regretfully, in, in my opinion, because uh, I'm quite socially liberal. But um, actually, we come first. You know, our political philosophy dates back prior to conservatism and socialism. So we're not kind of like borrowing from the left and right. We've yeah, got totally. Like a, we've got a classic liberal tradition that dates back to, you know, Adam Smith, John Locke. And so you could say that both conservatism and socialism are different reactions to liberalism yeah. as it was originally defined. But I don't think you can say that we are sort of the best of both. Right. No. If you take the minarchist position, which is the government should exist to protect our rights, yeah. and part of that is providing a strong national defence. Yeah then you have the basis for deciding a appropriate policy yeah. with a view to acquiring frigates. Yeah. It comes back to the thing, if you've got no principles, yeah. it's all up for grabs. Yeah. It's anyone's opinion. If you've got principles, they can guide your decision making. So my view would be, if it's true that there isn't enough money for the frigates, right? Yeah. the question is, are they critical to our national defence? 
if they are, we need them. Yeah. If they're not, we don't need them. Yeah, I know. It's, it would seem fairly straightforward. So, if we do need them, they can actually procure the funds for them from cutting back on our aggressive, yeah. our aggressive foreign policy. Why are we still spending millions in Iraq and Afghanistan with nothing to show for it? Yeah. Why are we messing up Syria worse yeah. than it's already messed up? So, yes, if they're needed, the money should be there. But here's the question. Is the money necessarily not there? Because I'm not making an exception of the military, but you know, even conservatives are famous, at least in the States, for saying something like, well, there's this thing called the Washington Monument Syndrome, where as soon as you try and cut anything in any department, the first thing they'll do is try and say, we've not got enough money for the Washington Monument, because everyone wants that. Everyone wants that. They'll try and cut the most conspicuous thing, yeah. so they can go to the government and say, we don't have enough money. We need more money, right? Yeah. And it's a well-known fact that the government departments are incentivized to spend all their money as quickly as possible yeah. so that they can say, we don't have enough money to fight crime or heroin addiction or to provide hospitals. Yeah. Or because whatever's left in the pot, then you, that they're going to say, well, you, you, can, you managed to do it so far without, and without and that amount of money, yes. so next year we'll give yes. you less. And so Education yeah. being a prime example because education spending has massively increased all over the Western world over the last 50 years. Yeah, you, you wouldn't think it though. No, because they're always saying it's because they don't have enough money. But actually, usually I think even your top private schools, parents are still paying 1.6 to two times as much yeah. in a public school to send children to public school through the tax system. So it's not a lack of money, it's how the money is spent. And we would really need to know if that's what's going on with the MOD, because one of the things that really gets the left's go, and I think justifiably so, is that always with conservatives, it seems to be the case that, oh yeah, you know, we need to cut things, and they go for dependent classes. Right. They have been making cuts to disability allowance and things like that. But it's a blank check when it comes to the military. Um, and, and I can see that criticism because I believe in cuts. I think we need to cut a lot. But things like disability allowance wouldn't be the, the place that I'd start cutting. Yeah. You know, I'd start with corporate welfare. Yeah. But there's also, it's worth mentioning, with the military especially, it is, like you say, a black hole. And I know from my own experience in the military, the, the wastage is incredible. The amount of money that gets wasted uh, by the government and the MOD is, is intolerable. Uh, and, and cockamamie projects. Uh, I mean, look, we, we, built, we built aircraft carriers and then as an afterthought decided what kind of planes were going to go on them. And then they, they, they didn't, the planes that they wanted to put on them were absolutely unsuitable yes. for the carriers. And a carrier is an extremely vulnerable ship. I mean, I would guess we're better off with more frigates and more battleships than we would be with with, with carriers. Um, although, I mean, the Chinese are knocking out aircraft carriers like nobody's business, but they're an extremely vulnerable thing. And I, I can remember when, when I was in the military, they brought in uh, an, our new rifle for the British Army, and it had been developed. Initially, it was called the SE-80. Before that, it was actually called the SE-47 because it was conceived in 1947 or 48, I can't remember. And, and that's how long it was in the pipeline. That's 
how long it took from it being on the drawing board to actually getting in the hands of of, uh, of the infantryman. And, it, and was. it was and it was useless. It had to be. They had to send it to Hitler and Koch in Germany and get the whole thing redone to make it uh, to to turn it into a weapon that was halfway decent. And the the mountain, and, and but that was that was all about. British yes. arms companies yes. being in bed with government and saying, look, we need the jobs here in the UK. Yes. And we, it's a weapon that we could have got at half the price and we ended up spending more money on it. So without the wastage, without the incompetence, we could have a better military than we do have, even yes. within the existing budget. Yes, and giving contracts to British companies, we need the jobs here. And that is a fallacy pointed out by Bastia the seen and the unseen, yeah. you might think, oh, we're creating jobs here yeah. by creating military weapons. But when you're cre- when the government's creating that job, it's also destroying jobs by taxing people who have to pay for that job yeah. and, in the meantime, hire bureaucrats to take the money from over here yeah. on the left and pass it to over here on the right. Yeah. So the government never creates jobs globally or yeah. across the economy it only creates jobs nominally yeah and that's a really important thing for the people who are big on cutting military spending which i would like to see massive cuts to military spending first there is one caveat because what's often happened in the past when it comes to military spending cuts and maybe this is the washington monument syndrome as well is they do it by say supposing they wanted 16 frigates and they go, well, the climate's not good for spending that much money, so we're just going to buy 10. What the, the people who advocate the cuts are not realising is it's a false economy because it's the unit cost decreases as the number of units increases. Right. So it might actually be worse to have to do the project half-assed and do it again in future Mm -hmm. and that's something that should always be considered but I think the best way to rein the government in is to say look for if you want new frigates or whatever you have to do that at the expense of really existing programs starting with you know the foreign intervention starting with the offensive capacities because it's a military fact that you do not need military parity to defeat an invader or an enemy yeah and we know that from the hiding we've got in afghanistan we know that from the hiding that um the americans took in vietnam and we know that for the hiding that say israel took about 10 years ago yeah with, that, with, yeah, with, with hezbollah they yeah, really a gave them a doing yeah. a much inferior military force so we need to look at what is necessary for na- for national security but not for our offensive capacities Okay, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, yeah, I'm in agreement so far. Did I you think, have one more point to make? Uh, well, just briefly, uh, I just wanted to mention the sad news that uh, Sharapova, uh, the tennis player, has been banned uh, for two years for using apparently performance-enhancing drugs. I hate tennis, right? <laughs> it really bores me uh, to tears. Uh, I know it's going to be Wimbledon soon, and I really can't stand the whole thing, uh, you know, from Hendon Hill and, you know, you name it, it just bugs me. However, I find women's tennis strangely compelling. Uh, I don't know why. And uh, I always enjoyed watching Sharapova. I have no idea about tennis. don't even know how you how you score points. But I just like uh, watching her. She scored, gonna, she scored be, a few points She certainly you. scored a few points for me. And uh, I, I'm gonna, I'll, be, I'll, certainly be, uh, I'll certainly be sad that uh, I won't be able to see her uh, 
wiggle on their bum and say, mm. okay, that's, that's all I've got to say there. Right, well, thanks very much for tuning in. I think that's us. Subscribe to us on YouTube or on iTunes because we're on there now. And please, if you enjoy this, share it on your Facebook wall. Help us reach a wider audience. You yeah, know, and bring we're open to suggestions as well for discussions. That's right. This is a really great way to introduce your left-wing friends or your right-wing Right fring? Yeah, right fring. Are your right fring friends <laughs> to a more, in my view, principled outlook on politics than left to right, which is let's look at everything from the, the aspect of liberty. Yeah. So, so, so. Be libertarians. <laughs> Don't be a lefty or a righty.